welcome to the Banda About podcast series. Joining me in the engine room today is a musician who has played and recorded with a variety of bands and artists, both here in Australia and overseas. He has authored several books on drumming techniques and in 2007 began exporting his own brand of custom cymbals. It is my great pleasure to welcome Craig Lauritsen. Welcome, Craig, and thank you for making time to chat with me today. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, Craig, let's start from the beginning. Where were you born? I was born right here in little old Adelaide, uh, I think in the Queen Vic, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. But, yes, in Adelaide. Okay. And where did you grow up and spend most of your childhood? In Adelaide. I've spent most of my life here. I've had stints overseas for various periods of time, Uh, but no, most of my life here. Mm -hmm. Do either of your parents have a musical background or anyone else in the family? My parents don't, although my father used to, he's He's an electrical engineer, was an electrical engineer, and he loved building stereos. So he would always have these monolithic stereos and he would play music at quite incredible volumes on usually on a Sunday morning. And uh, and he had quite an eclectic music collection. So he had classical stuff, he had um, craft work, he had Pink Floyd, he had all sorts of different things. So I guess... Some of my music was informed by my dad's Sunday sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. What led or who influenced you to start playing? Very humble beginnings. Like, it's interesting how things happen in life. I I remember as a 15-year-old boy sitting around with three other friends of mine and we were just bored and we thought, what should we do? I know, let's start a band. And we picked the instruments purely on the physicality of the people there. So I was the stockiest guy. So immediately it was presumed that I would play drums. Um, And so I did. And interestingly, only one of those other boys went on to continue playing, um, apart from me. But once I started playing drums, that was it. I, I loved it. It was like an immediate... I don't know, an immediate epiphany that, wow, this is awesome. Why haven't I been doing this for a lot longer? Yeah. Did you have music available as a subject at school? Yes, I did. But back in those days, because, again, I'm 56, so I remember music just being writing essays about classical uh, composers and essays about where different instruments originated and I, it, it really bored me. So I didn't actually pursue music at school at all. And It wasn't until, like I say, I was 15 um, and I pretty much started playing in bands immediately at 15, but it wasn't through the music program at school. Right. Okay. When did you get your first drum set? Ah, well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I reckon maybe I was 16 when I got my first drum kit. It wasn't, I, it wasn't too far into me um, starting. I, I had lessons at John Reynolds Music City with uh, this guy called Clinton Ribbon, who I loved. He was fantastic. Yeah, and I guess at some point not that long after that I, I managed to get a drum kit. So I, I was working in my school holidays and, and I had a bit of money and my parents helped out and I remember it was an old pearl silver drum kit and it was great. Yeah. So what work were you doing? I was labouring basically from when I was about 14 or 15, I think, um, in my school holidays. I worked for a swing pool company and, yes, I, I was just doing basic labouring jobs for um, mm-hmm basically a swimming pool company, and they also did landscaping and, and things like that. But it was pretty hard yakka. I used to lug nine-foot railway sleepers around when I was 15 and stuff. So, yeah, I think hence why I was stocky and got the gig as a drummer with my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Who were your main teachers? Did you just go to John Reynolds or did you um, have other teachers along the way? Yeah, I've had a, I've had a bunch of uh, different teachers. So, uh, obviously, 
I think my very first teacher was Clinton Ribbon down at John Reynolds. Mm. And then I studied at the Kingston TAFE College. Mm-hmm. And I had Jim Latter during that time. And I think around that same time when I was getting ready to go into the whole uh, music study thing, uh, I had some lessons with John Stevens down at John Reynolds as well. Um, and then once I went through uni, uh, I had lessons with Laurie Kennedy. And then when I was older, I actually went to Boston for a year and studied with Bob Moses for a bunch of time over there as well. Mm, okay. So what was the first band that you joined? The very f- I'd been playing for, I think, three months and I there was a bunch of friends playing at school with another drummer and I kind of ousted him for that position and I felt a little bit bad about that because he was a lovely guy. Uh, but I, I don't know why they liked me more, um, but they seemed to. And that band was called Globo Delojo. And some of those people are still playing around. Peter Martin, I don't know if you know Peter Martin, a singer, and he plays in some of the blues things around the yeah. place. And Lester Davies, um, he's a trumpeter and singer, he used to play in Nouveau Gogo back in the day and more recently. And he does some other kind of more hardcore things as well. So, yeah. Excellent. Can you remember your first gig? Well, I reckon my first gig was like a um, some event at school, either in year 11 or year 12. I'm, I'm not sure now. Um, but that would have been my very first gig. But then I started doing gigs around the place, uh, I, some of the uni gigs, uni tavern gigs. And remember the Tivoli back in the day? The yeah. Tivoli? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they used to have that band showcase where they'd have multiple bands on a night. Um, I I played with another band that was formed pretty much from school relationships, a band called Dog's Breath. Very illustrious name. And we used to, yeah, we did a few gigs there doing some kind of more hard rocky kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think they were my earliest things. Mm. Yeah. What was your first major gig? Well, what is a major gig? Well, I, you know, um, in a bigger venue or a larger audience or, say, festival or, you know, something a bit bigger than backyards and front bars. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah no, no, fair enough. Oh, that's very interesting, actually. I, I um, in the late 80s, I, I supported Brian Ferry at the Festival Theatre in, like, 1988 or something like mm-hmm. that. Uh, and then I did... Some, what band was that with? That was with a band called, I think that was New Algogo, actually. Okay. Um, which was an African kind of a inspired band, I guess you would say. Um, and then in 89, I did a bunch of things at Clubfoot and, you know, I supported Wilbur Wilde and Kate Sobrano and people like that. I guess they were the earlier, bigger ones. Mm. Mm. Do you have a memorable gig story, good or bad, that you'd like to share? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, <laughs> I, I would imagine that anyone in my age bracket who's been playing for 30-something years, no, gosh, 40 years, um, would have many memorable gig stories. I should imagine, uh, yes. Probably my most enjoyable one was um, I played for the soundtrack for The Tracker for a Rolf De Heer film. Uh, mm. with Archie Roach and um, we did uh, basically a live band performance to the film at the Adelaide and Mel- Melbourne Film Festival mm-hmm. and the Melbourne gig was just fantastic. There were, gosh, there were thousands of people and, you know, Brian Brown was there and all of the neighbours cast and it was just a who's who of everything and that, that was just a lot of fun. So... That's probably the most memorable in that sense. But, mm. you know, then there's other strange events that happen. I remember doing a gig at um, the Grand Hotel with Sweet Baby James. Do you, do you know Sweet Baby James? James yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we were playing in the front bar there in front of the big windows and some idiot who was obviously very inebriated 
smashed his head into the glass and shattered all of these huge shards of very sharp glass all over me while I was playing. Oh, my God. Yeah, at the bar. And, and miraculously, I, I didn't get cut at all. But Wow. It was, yeah, it's like pretty crazy. This, it's, yeah. So that's yeah, that's pretty that memorable. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, they, gosh, I, it, I should have thought more about this, shouldn't I? Because I'm sure if I think back, there's all sorts of crazy, you know, there are crazy gigs that you do that. The crazy weddings where both sides of the family hate each other and there's literally a brawl at the wedding and uh, <laughs> I, I've done those and, you know, all sorts of crazy things like that and just generally brawls. I remember uh, the Flinders Uni Tavern used to get pretty rough back in the day and I remember brawls breaking out there when I was playing and um, I remember once a brawl breaking out between, I was, again, I was with Sweet Baby James and um, one of the Morrison brothers and some guy crashed into the mic stand and it pushed it into, um, I think it was, is it John Morrison's mouth? And um, then he pushed the guy and he went flying through the bar stools and then it was on and then I'm jumping off the drums trying to stop them and the bouncers come running in. You know, crazy times, the crazy times of rock and roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, things could get out of hand a bit back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> well they still can occasionally, but, um, yeah. Yeah, when we're allowed to stand up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. That's, it's, it's not much of anything, really. I mean, there's some things, but it's certainly been decimated in the last 18 months or so. Mm, yeah, certainly has. Now, your quest to find the perfect symbol led to countless hours searching for as much information as you could about all aspects of symbol creation. And you travelled to many different countries seeking out symbol makers and master mm. symbol smiths. Yeah. What were some of the highlights of this journey of discovery for you? That's a great question. You've done the research. That's, that's very good. That um, I need to do that before <laughs> I speak to anyone. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. Well done. Um, gosh. That the highlight for me was going to Italy and in um, a little place called uh, gosh, it was in Pescia, in kind of near Tuscany, mm. and uh, visiting a master symbol smith called Roberto Spizzacchino. Mm -hmm. um, he's probably my mentor in the sense that out of all of the independent symbol smiths, he's the one that I just love everything about what he did most. Mm. So that was a real highlight. And then we caught up again at the Frankfurt Trade Fair. I went to the Frankfurt Trade Fair as well that year. This was in like about 2008. Um, and, yeah, and then at the airport we hung out and had some wine and spoke about music and did some things again as well. So certainly meeting Roberto was was a big highlight. Um, but also uh, seeing Michael Peisty in Lucerne in, in Switzerland. Mm. Um, he's the son of the whole Peisty empire and, mm -hmm. and he just decided to go off and do his own thing, symbol-wise. Uh, so I visited his little workshop there and that was awesome. Um, Matt Nolan in Bath and he's an incredible symbolsmith who is uh, one of my peers, I suppose. We all kind of started in a, at a similar time. Um, and he's gone on to make musical instruments for Bjork and all sorts of crazy things. So that yeah. was good. And another guy in the UK, Steve Hubbock, that was also excellent. He's uh, He does symbols uh, in all sorts of different materials. So rather than just being mostly symbols of copper and tin, um, he works in all sorts of different alloys and does sound sculptures and really quite amazing and unique things as well so yeah. they were all amazing experiences. At what stage did you feel that you had enough knowledge to begin creating your own brand of symbols? You're very good with questions. Uh, I, look I um what so what happened for me was that um I remember there was John Reynolds and there are there are a few other music shops but John Reynolds is a big one and and they had a really good selection considering of, of symbols but I, I never kind of quite found the the sound that I was looking for. So what I started doing initially was just um, 
experimenting with symbols that already existed. So I'd rehammer them and I'd do stuff. And I did this for probably, oh gosh, a couple of years. And then I'd actually practice hammering. I kind of spent about 15 to 20 hours a week actually practicing mm. hammering. Um, and then I started getting some things in from Turkey and rehammering them. Them, and I guess it was probably a few years after I started. But again, I I was getting into it pretty well. I'm that kind of person. I'm I'm a little bit OCD. So mm. <laughs> when I go down the rabbit hole, I usually go down fairly hard. So uh, yeah, I, I'd say a couple of years after I started, and and I was starting to get good results and consistent results and. I'd done a lot of work already and I was starting to feel pretty confident that I could do that. Mm. So, and uh, yeah, I guess this was in the, um, I probably, I think I started maybe 2005. So around the time I visited Roberto, I'd say 2007, 2008, something like that. I started to think that, yeah, I can, I'm getting pretty good at this so I can start selling my symbols and feeling good about it. Mm. Mm. Excellent. So how long does it take for you to complete an order? It's because so what I what I do I'm 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 a custom yeah. really so yeah so what the way it works normally is that people send me an email and um, they they've either listened to some things that I have on YouTube and they've sent me links to symbols that I've already made and they. You know, they say, I love this symbol. Can you make something like it? Uh, or they send me sound files of something they've heard or some of their favourite artists. And then I try and make a symbol. And it's actually really quite a difficult thing. So because every symbol is unique, it's not mm. possible to make two symbols exactly the same. It's, it's actually literally not possible. So, um, yeah, it's quite a process. So it, it really does vary depending on on what I'm making and how close I think I've gotten the first time and if I think I need to try again, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I would say on average these days um, I probably only make two or three symbols a week. That's, that's enough. That's what <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, I think so. And, <laughs> and yeah, it's pretty hard work to figure out. You know, don't be down you know, on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, I, and that that is enough, and it is pretty, pretty physically hard. And like I said, there is a lot of other stuff that you've got to do. There's a lot of emails, there's a lot of chats. You know, often I'm skyping people, talking about things, and you know, I'll make something and send them a sound file, and then we'll make changes again as well. And so, yeah, it's quite a process. And and mm. as I say, some things can be more of a process than others. So it, it's impossible to say exactly how long any symbol would take but if something goes really well it might take me only three or four hours if, if everything just works out perfectly and it's not a difficult task and then there's other times where you know I probably would have spent 30 hours on something mm. yeah yeah I should imagine it would be quite time consuming it is and I'm a bit of a, a perfectionist. It goes hand in hand with the mild OCD that I have. So, oh yeah, you wouldn't be doing this if you weren't one. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. It's, yeah, it's a pretty unusual thing to do generally. So, yeah. Um, but I love the process. I love it. Mm. Great. Well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. It that is. helps. Well, it, well, it really does help. I, you know, and I've been lucky my entire life. I mean, I've done all sorts of strange jobs, as all musicians do. You know, again, I was a labourer and then a steel fixer and a physio aide and a painter and a kind of odd jobs man and a lawnmower person. And I've done all the things that you kind of do to survive. But generally, I've, I've either played drums, which I love, or made cymbals, which I love. So it's yeah. very lucky. So tell me about some of the other bands that you've played with then. Wow. Um, it, uh, you know, I, I was kind of looking at some of the things and kind of having a little bit of, I've kind of tried to make a CV over the years um, mm. and I was looking through some of the things at that, in that and, yeah, it's, it's amazing how many things I've done. Uh, I guess 
so you know, I've, I did the thing with Archie Roach, which I guess is was more of a like a um, a folky kind of a bluesy thing, I guess you would say. Uh, and I've I've done recordings with Eric Bogle in a few different situations, and one of the recordings I did, John Schumer was on it. So again, that was in the the rocky kind of folky kind of thing. Um, but I suppose I've been partly pigeonholed like because you know when you play a lot people think you're this drummer that does this particular thing so i and i guess because i love all things and and that's a strange thing so that's what i'm saying so you know i've done bands where it's been blues folk african reggae latin american jazz you name it and and i've loved them all uh but I, i like i say i guess people consider me to be a jazz guy predominantly uh and in that context i played do you know the remember the world's end hotel yeah uh there was a ongoing regular tuesday night jazz thing that that went for ages and ages and i think uh maybe um hugh harvey did it before me i don't know if you know hugh harvey he's an amazing jazz drummer Mm. in melbourne now uh and then i did it for gosh years and years and years and that was with a band called the Fred Neeson Jazz Explosion. But the, that was with Chris Sewell and Lyndon Gray and Dave Inoshente, and that was a lot of fun and they're amazing players and that's, that was just such a great learning experience for me and also just so many amazing musical moments as well. Mm. Um, but, gosh, uh, I, I don't... I have, a, you know, you have associations with uh, with people that become very uh, lifelong. You do a lot of different things with those people at a time. So what, one of my other favourite players is James Brown. Have you heard of James Brown? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not not the uh, not the father <laughs> of soul, James Brown. No. Uh, no. no I feel good. No. <laughs> no, not that one. <laughs> no, no, I imagine if I was done a lot of playing with James Brown I, I may not you be might not be even here talking to me at the moment yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, no the Adelaide James Brown but he, he is an incredible guitarist and uh, I've done a lot of different things with him uh, a band called Only the Sky we had for a while which was great and it was kind of like this real orchestral jazz meets prog rock meets uh, like a cinematic orchestra kind of thing and, and that was great and I did a thing with him called Kubrick with a bass player called CJ Rhodes mm. who lives in Melbourne now and he did a lot of the rock things uh, with Miff Warhurst's brother and who's an amazing guitarist and, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I did a band called Kubrick with him and we used to play Fad Bar. Do you remember Fad Bar? The name, I, yeah, the name is <laughs> yeah. vaguely familiar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Fad Bar was a little bit later on. Uh, I reckon in the maybe the early two thousand. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I had a, young children then. Well, yes, that's that's right. That's you know, right. that kind of changes what's happening in your life when you you're doing that. Mm. It absolutely does. I have a thirteen year old now, so that has has changed a lot. Um, but this was before I had my thirteen year old. But th- anyway, Sabah was a great place, and and I played there with a band called Kubrick. But I did all sorts of other things with them. Um, I, I've been doing a thing called She Descends the Stairs with Richard Coates. Do you know Richard? I, I don't know him personally. Big keyboard player and piano accordion oh, player yes. and, you know, yeah, plays with yeah. Tara Coates, uh, who's yeah. his wife, um, and does all sorts of things around the place. Yeah, so I've done a thing with him which has been a lot of fun. And, again, that's with Lyndon Gray and another guitarist called Sam Cagney. and. Mm-hmm. Sam's a great player and, again, I've done a lot of things with Sam over the years as well. Um, yeah, it's it's like I could probably go on forever. but You're allowed to. It's your story. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, it's a pretty good industry generally and I'm, I've been lucky to work with really good people. So, yeah, yeah. that's – but I, I went on uh, tour with a band to Melbourne and uh, – we were sitting, obviously, we're in, in the kind of tour van and we've got 10 hours to go to, to get to Melbourne. 
and we're talking about various musicians and things and uh someone's name came up and I said oh that guy that guy oh my god he's hopeless I can't stand that guy oh he's just so obnoxious and such a douchebag and I just went on this big rant and one of the girls in the band that I was in the bus with going on this tour it was actually his partner (laughs) and I had no idea and of course the whole car went silent and people are looking at me and I'm going what are they looking at me for and so I just went on this big long rant and then she said oh yeah I'm actually going out with him I'm like ah well obviously I can't take any of that back Mm. I'm I'm way too far down the rabbit hole and anyway she just laughed It's, she it's, might have agreed, funny. who knows? <laughs> well, she may agree now because I know they're no longer together. Well, there so, you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like positivity and that's that's why, you know, I, I'm really happy with the people that I play with because they're real positive people and they're great. They lift each other up and that's what I want to see in mm. the music scene. I don't know, like, and, and it, it just doesn't make sense to do anything else because, you know, the music scene in Adelaide, uh, for the people, the number of people in this town and the talent that's here, it's really actually special and I don't think we appreciate that fully in yeah. Adelaide. You know, like I, I spent a year in Boston and, of course, you get the pinnacle of just incredible musicians, like just people that absolutely blow your mind. Um, and then you get, uh, you know, a percentage of phenomenally good players but then you get a whole lot of just terrible stuff, you know, like really terrible stuff. I remember going to so many gigs in Boston that were big things and there were heaps of people and these people had names and it was supposed to be incredible. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, what is this? And anyway, Adelaide doesn't tend to have that. Like there's really good musicians here doing really good things. Yeah. So, we, you know, I think we've got a lot to be proud of and we need to kind of, yeah, lift each other up more in, in the sense that, you know, we, we do some incredible stuff from here. So, yeah. yeah. No, it is a good place. Yeah. Is there a band that you wish that you'd played with? As in anybody on the planet? Well, no, I'm thinking more locally. So maybe you might have um, been asked to fill in or join or what have you and for whatever reason you couldn't do that at the time, but then you later might have thought, oh, gee, I wish I had done that. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, it's obviously there are bands which I've always really admired and mm. loved for, for various reasons um, and local bands as well. Like, you know, I remember Goose back in the day. I thought, man, they were an incredible band. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play with most of those kind of players. Um, I remember, again, Dave Inoshente, his band Dirt. Uh, again, it's, it's in that real jazz fusion thing, but I love that band. They were incredible. Um, but, of course, I've gone on to play with Dave in other things. So, um, yeah, and, and so, like, not really. Like, I've gone to play with those – I've played with those musicians in other things and really enjoyed that thing. And, of course, you know, a band is a band, so it's kind of the sum of all the parts. So, no, not really. Um, no? <laughs> No, um, I again. I it's I've been certainly been inspired by lots of bands here, and and like I said, I've been lucky enough generally to play with a lot of the people from those bands and other things. So I think I'm pretty lucky. Cool. Yeah. COVID continues to have a tremendous impact on the music industry. Yeah, it does. It's terrible. How much work did you lose? Oh. Yeah, uh, obviously in the last 18 months I've never done less gigs ever in my entire life from about the age of 15. So what am I now, 56? So, yeah, I'd say in 40 years I've never done fewer gigs. Mm. So, and obviously I know a lot of people in the same boat and since having families and, and all of those things, obviously most of what I do is local these days, but, mm. you know, it's even worse for so many of my friends that do tours like Adam Page, you know, he's constantly organising these things and they get cancelled at the last minute and, you know, there's so much work that goes to organise something and then to have it cancelled. And I know my wife, uh, Renee, she plays in a band called The Beggars with Stuart Day and Quinton yeah. Dunn and, you know, they've had lots of stuff cancelled as well and, yeah, it's been terrible for 
for everybody. Mm. Is there a positive that's come from the lockdowns that wouldn't have occurred otherwise for you? You ask really good questions, Di. Thank you. Yeah, I, <laughs> but they're so good, I have to think. Yeah. yeah I, really, I really have to think. It's like, I haven't breathed. What, like, that's a really good question. Um, well, I'd like to try and find a positive as well no, rather than no, focusing absolutely. on the negative. Absolutely. I think that's an excellent way to be in the world. Um, mm-hmm. There's the obvious things like family, you know, you, you you just get to spend more time with your family, which is, mm. I think, often something which we maybe don't do as much as we should. So, so there's that. I mean, you know, my relationship with uh, my family, my beautiful daughter and wife, it, that's the COVID has been good for that, um, you know, just building on those connections. Musically, I, I guess... Because I haven't been playing with other people as much, I, I have been. I've got an awesome little soundproof booth that I practice in quite a lot, and I guess I've been looking at lots of just exploring weirder ideas, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm not working towards, usually when I practice, I'm, I'm thinking about a gig or thinking about uh, a band or you know some band-oriented thing. And because I haven't had that so much, I guess I've been able to explore more interesting avenues. Yeah. So I suppose that's been good. And I'm, I'm sure that'll lead to something in the future. Mm. I don't know what that is yet, but, uh, you know. It's, a new CD maybe. Yeah, a new CD and just a new direction. I, you know, I've been thinking about that. And I've been talking about that with James because James Brown does, um, he's part of the Wizard Tone. Do you know Wizard Tone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who who are a label and uh, a recording uh, facility and studio and uh, yeah, I've been talking with James and yeah, I'll I'll mull that over. I, look, I think it'll lead to something good. So mm. so that kind of thing is good. Like having that freedom, a bit more time to explore things that you wouldn't ordinarily explore, um, and having that family connection time, and I guess just learning to disengage from. Some of the things in the world which maybe aren't <laughs> necessarily so positive. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I quite like just chilling out in my my beautiful house and um, just not having a lot to do and kind of think about things and ponder stuff. I my brain likes to go on journeys all the time, and I, I it's been good in that sense. Mm. Yeah. I should imagine you also would have had more time for creating your symbols, practicing yeah. your hammering and all that sort of stuff? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I, I mean, I have. Un- unfortunately, it's also coincided with um, some pretty problematic back issues that I've been going through recently as well. So uh, I've, I've had to kind of set limits on the amount of time that I can actually spend making symbols um, just, mm. just from a physical perspective. I should imagine um, the postage of the uh, symbols once they're finished would take extra time as well at the moment. Getting better. It was really bad for a while. Yeah, mm. I mean, it was really bad. You know, I'd send something to the US and it would be literally months and months and months. And sometimes I'd send something and it would just sit in a post office for months and then it would be returned to me because mm. uh, I, I don't know why. Maybe people just didn't want to go out and deliver things because it was yeah, everything was going crazy over there. I don't know why, but, yeah, it, it was a real problem for a while, but it, it is a lot better now. I mean, there are still extended times, but it's nothing like what it was in the early days, which was terrible. Mm. Yeah. So how do you prepare yourself before a show? Um, again, great questions. I, like I, I, um, I think I generally don't like to be running material or – thinking too much about the gig on the day of the gig. Mm. Uh, you know, I find that can be counterproductive, particularly if you're running material and it's just starting to <laughs> not sound so great on the day <laughs> and you go, oh, my God, I've got the gig in three hours. Uh-oh. So, yeah, I, I, I tend not to do that on the day. Um, I'll work pretty hard up until a day or two away. But on on the day, I yeah, I, I probably like to – just focus on other things, just kind of get more into a relaxed mindset, you know, mm. where I'm not thinking about things or worrying about things too much. Because, again, 
my my mild OCD mindset, I can go down terrible rabbit holes <laughs> if I do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I prefer just to, to chill out. Offline, I'll, I'll listen to music that I find really inspirational or, um, yeah, do other things, go for a walk, get out into nature. I love nature and that's like I think one of the best preparations if, if I've got a gig and I've got time is to just I, I like birding, you know, going out um, watching all different bird species all over the place. So yeah, that's a great preparation because that just kind of grounds me and connects me to things and, you know, I feel the awe of the things that are around us and that's fresh in my mind and then I go play a gig. So that can be really good. Um, but immediately before a gig, yeah, again, same thing. I, I, I don't warm up. I don't do things like that. I, I just try and just chill out, I guess, just get myself into a, um, you know, pretty relaxed and open mindset where I'm not thinking too much about the actual performance mm. fortunately being the drummer I'm I mean look again I, I, I did my own CD a while back and there was a fair bit to organize it wasn't too bad for me and all, all the guys I played with were so professional so they didn't harass me it was really easy actually if you're stuck in that whole thing where you're the person the go-to person to do mm. all of that extra stuff mm. oh that's hard I, yeah, yeah look, I think I think my playing would suck a lot more <laughs> <laughs> That's that's one of the tough things about performing is is kind of getting in the right mindset to to let the magic happen, you know. Mm, and, and if yeah. you yeah, if you're so bogged down in other things, organisation, dramas, PA falling apart, all of those things, gosh, yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I don't do that. Generally. Yeah, yeah, don't 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 do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I know. Yeah, handball that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want you to choose the three most important to you from the following five. Right. Groove, creativity, yep. Yep. chops, yep. technique, and time. Yep. Out of those five, which three are most important to you? Well, you know, I would say it really has to be um, – because you said groove and time, and I, I like that you made that kind of a separate thing because I think mm-hmm. it is. Um, I guess really for me the two most important things are groove and creativity and, you know, because everything else really I think is subservient to that. So technique, chops, that's it should all be subservient to, you know, creativity and intention and um and groove because I, I don't care if things speed up or slow down as long as they're grooving as long as they sound good uh, like i'm i'm not a metronomic drummer so um, no no <laughs> not really <laughs> I, well look you know we all have our tendencies i think yeah and, and my 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 tendency probably is to speed up but that's because i like it to be exciting you know i, I like exciting and and most of the time i i'm pretty okay with the degree to which it does that you know there are obviously times where it can be too much or if, mm. it, if it's if it sounds unsettable that's not good but again that means it's not grooving so you know i think something can groove and either slow down or speed up uh, and obviously i'm sure you and i both have a million recorded examples of exactly that happening oh, yeah. i mean as 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 you know the charlie watts thing that obviously because he's just recently died and people are talking about him and his groove and the, the way that he drove the Rolling Stones and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you listen to Honky Tonk Woman and it speeds up considerably, but it sounds, it's grooving. It sounds great. So it, it's, yeah, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, definitely groove and creativity. And, of course, I one of the things that I'm very attracted to in all music is improvisation, which obviously yeah. is creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I... I is something that happens with the interaction with other people and getting in the zone, you know, get your brain getting in the zone and the way things work together. And, uh, yeah, I love improvisation, but I also love groove. So. Mm. And, and look, yeah, technique and chops. I mean, I think I've generally got pretty good technique and chops, certainly with, with some things. But, yeah, I, I hope that it, more, it serves more of a creative purpose rather than just showing off chops because you've got them yeah great (laughs) but you know having said that i think you need you need to have well you need to have enough technique and enough chops to be able to then 
execute your creative ideas. And yeah. if that's out of whack, then you've got a problem. But, but, yeah. Yeah. yeah, true. If you could offer one tip to a new drummer, what would it be? Again, I'm going to say it again. Yeah, such good question. Um, I reckon drive your own ship. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, do the things you need to do. So if you're having lessons, do the stuff that you're meant to do for the lessons. Or if you're going to uni, do the stuff that you're meant to do for uni. But save a lot of your time for exploring your own ideas and your own path. And if something comes up and you think you want to go down that road, go down it. You know, don't listen to other people. Don't let other people say, no, don't go down that road. I think do it. Just, you know, really drive your own ship and, and, and have faith in your innate ability for your brain and creativity to put you in the right direction at the right time. Excellent. Who are your top three local drummers? Local drummers. Man, there are so many good local drummers. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like I, I couldn't name you just three because, they're like, you know, in, in the jazz world, there's Angus Mason. I don't know if you know Angus. He's, yeah. He's, mm-hmm. he's phenomenal. But, um, you know, there's Josh Baldwin. He's a, another guy who's also a phenomenal player. Um, there's there's so many in there and in the obviously there's the um, the Ben Todds and then just that solid pocket of the Mario Marinos and uh, you know Jamie Jones has a great kind of groove pocket thing going on as well and there's so many it's like Adelaide is blessed with as I say really good musicians and really good rhythm sections yeah. <laughs> yeah. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, it's like, a horrible there's, question. <laughs> well, yeah, there's so many, you know, and, and they've all got their own thing and, and, and it's, that's also incredible in itself. So, you know, they, they, there's so many great players. I just think in the general greater world that there's just not enough appreciation of just some of the amazing things that have come out of Adelaide. I mean, obviously there's cold chisels and the, ACDCs and all those kinds of things. But, you know, even since that, there's just there's so many incredible musics happening in this town. So I spent about a year in Boston in the US and I did, oh, I don't know, about 100 gigs over there while mm. I was there and all sorts of different things, blues things and fusion-y things. And, man, the blues thing over there, it's, the, it's a whole different world. Like, you know, you, you, you talk about groove, like you've got to be on your groove. You've got to know what groove to, you know, um, lay back and what groove to push and what to do this here and, like, they have these crazy things. I remember a guy saying, okay, I want you to do a pea soup on this one and I'm going, what the hell is a pea soup? <laughs> and, you know, he basically meant really laying back the snare and they had all this jargon and it, it's quite a quite an involved thing. It's almost, it's quite intimidating just because it's they're very serious, very mm, serious. Mm. Um, yeah, but fun, fun, great. Great to do all those things. If you could invite any musicians to play a concert with you anywhere in the world, you're on the kit, who would you call, where would it be held, and what genre would the band be performing? Okay, so venue. Let's start with venue. Um, you know, I've done some big gigs to, you know, five, ten thousand 10,000 people, that kind of thing, and there's a vibe to that because it's big and that's fun, but you know I love the little venues. You know, like the smalls jazz, jazz clubs or the, um, you know, the, the more intimate kind of venues. Mm. Um, musicians, and see, this is the other thing because I, I, I still think that like I like so many different types of music. Um, okay, I'd say it would maybe a bit groove based, but a bit jazzy. Uh, this is for the style. Certainly some improv, but also some pretty cool kind of groovy stuff happening. Um, and I'm going to say for musicians, Pino Palladino on bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, Got to be something a bit wacky, really, doesn't it? Oh, I reckon Bill Frizzell. Do you know Bill Frizzell? No. 
<laughs> yeah, he's a jazzer, but he's very moody and, and interesting and does really interesting stuff. But then I'm going to say James Muller, just because I think James is a musical genius. Uh, yeah, he's of, brilliant. Out of all of the Adelaide musicians I've ever known, I I, I think him and Chris Sewell on sax, he's, so I'm going to have Chris Sewell on sax. <laughs> um, and James Muller. Pino Palladino, um, Bill Frizzell. I need one other horn player, I reckon. Someone really interesting. Um, no, I don't know. That'll do. That'll be That'll pretty do. interesting and fun gig. And in a small jazz club, probably in New York, maybe Smalls, maybe something else, but something where it's intimate and people are close. And I, I like those kinds of gigs. Excellent. Is there something that you have really tried to play that you couldn't get right or you weren't satisfied with the way that you played it? You're talking about every day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) As I say, it's funny. I'm a perfectionist who isn't perfect at all. So um, it sounds like a world of turmoil really, doesn't it? It's not. It's actually fun in a lot of ways. But... um, Look, I, you know, the groove thing, again, I, I still feel like I, I haven't fully found my pocket with some things, you know. Like um, I'm pretty happy with my swing feel, my double shuffles, uh, some of my rock and funk things. But I really want to go further down that whole New orleans kind of playing between the cracks thing. I, you yeah. know, I can do that a bit, but I'm not satisfied with that at all. Fair enough. <laughs> Do you ever get bored with your own playing? Uh, I do. That's a great question. I, I do, but I, I think it's more that um, I, I get bored more with my brain than I do with my playing. And, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, sometimes I listen back to my performances at gigs and I can tell when I'm just, my brain is there, when I'm either a bit nervous or when I'm just not listening as much as I should or, um, you know, it's like, yeah, it's more that, mm. that where my brain is at and that flow thing because on a good day I can, you know, do some pretty cool things and, and I think really support musicians really, really well. Uh, but on a bad day when my brain isn't in the right headspace, then I certainly don't do that as much as I'd like. How many bands or projects are you currently involved with on a regular basis? Probably. So Blue Teak thing still goes, but, again, we haven't really pushed that recently. Um, She Descends the Stairs, the thing I was talking about with Richard Coates. We've done a couple of things recently. I do a gig, a jazz gig with Schmo. Do you know Schmo? I don't know him, but I have heard of him. Yeah, so he was one of my lecturers back in mm-hmm. the days. Yes. And, um, yeah. He's no, had I, a mention in a few of the interviews. Yeah, yeah. No, I love Shmo. He's Gosh, he's still so enthusiastic about jazz. It's incredible. Um, so, yeah, I've got a gig coming up with him on Sunday, actually, at the King's Head. Uh, mm-hmm. What else? Yeah, you know, it's like I guess a lot of people, you have these projects which are there, but since COVID, but nothing's really happened with them. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's probably half a dozen things, I suppose, that I'm I'm involved with, and hopefully once things settle down even more, we'll we'll start to get that ball rolling again. But it's yeah, it's been a, I think a tough time generally for musicians, and just the thought of organising things and getting the ball rolling again, and you know having things change is it's been tough. So mm. yeah. Where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? Hopefully here in this house. Um, in terms of what I'd be doing, I, yeah, I, I mean, music is my, obviously, my one big passion and, and mm. I'm, that I'll never stop doing that. But I guess in 10 years, I think I'm going to be a bit more proactive in, in the sense of, um, action because 
being a sideman, you kind of fall into that sideman trap a lot of the time where, you, you know, you just wait for people to ring up. Or again, I know lots of musicians and sometimes I ring them up and say, you know, what, what are you doing? What's going on? And maybe a gig will come from that. But yeah, I reckon being a bit more proactive, going somewhere different. And I don't know where that is yet, but we were speaking about that with the COVID lockdown thing and exploring new areas. So mm. yeah, I, I think just starting to try and do some new things uh, in 10 years' time and still symbol smithing but probably just a little bit less of that just because of my body. Um, but certainly I'm hoping to play music till the day I die. Um, I don't know if you saw that uh, thing on Netflix about the drummers. Yeah. Yeah. Count me but, you in. Know, yeah, and did you watch the very end where Chad fell off his drums mm. dying at the end? Mm. Yeah, you know, that that's that seems like a good way to go. I mean, well, certainly I'm hoping to play until the day I die. Just more balance too, you know. I think as you get older you just want more balance. Mm. So what, what I mean by that is, you know, more balanced family time, more balanced music stuff, like and, and doing things that you're just really passionate about, having to, you know, being able to do that. Because back in the day, you know, you, you just the phone rings, you do a gig. That's what I used to be like. It's like, you know, when I went through university, the whole mentality was if the phone rings, just do the gig. Even if you don't know what you're doing, just do it because it's mm-hmm. the way you learn. Mm-hmm. Um, so probably I, <laughs> since COVID, that hasn't really been a problem because the phone hasn't been ringing quite so much. But <laughs> um, hopefully when COVID goes and, and things start getting back on track again, um, yeah, maybe saying no to some things I don't want to quite do quite so much and really focusing on things I really do and being more proactive yeah. about my own music. And maybe so, writing. Writing, yeah? Yeah, a little bit of writing. Mm, cool. What do you hope to have achieved before you do lay down the sticks for the last time? Cam, good question. Uh, music's a funny thing, isn't it? Because to me... The thing that's always attracted me to music is the fact that it doesn't ever really stop. It, mm. It's just this continual growth and, you know, every day you put time in and sometimes it's frustrating as hell and other times it's going swimmingly and it's, 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 like, yeah, it's like you're having a really intense primary relationship with something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, it, and it goes like all other relationships, you know. Sometimes it's great, sometimes it's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Um, so what do I hope to achieve? I, 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 I just want to think less when I'm playing. I like, I, what, what I'd really hope to achieve, you know, people, musicians talk about getting in the zone and what that feels like and it's different for everybody. But I'm hoping to just be able to get there a lot more quickly and a lot more easily when I play. That would be a big achievement. Excellent. Before we end our chat today, I'm going to ask Craig 20 quick random questions or as many as we can get through in the space of two minutes to close the interview. Are you ready, Craig? Yes. Your time starts now. What was the first song you learnt to play? Something by Jimi Hendrix, probably Foxy Lady. What is the correct temperature for storing wine in a cellar? (laughs) <laughs> um, well, ideally something below 16 degrees. What was the first album that you purchased? Oh, I, you know, I reckon it was actually ABBA. Cool. Approximately, <laughs> approximately, approximately how many individual hammer hits does it take to produce the best sound for a CL custom cymbal? A few thousand. Name a band you wish you had seen play live. John Coltrane. What is your favourite SA winery? Uh, So many. Bowen Estate. The most sticks that you've dropped during a gig? (laughs) Oh, oh, I reckon reckon I'm up to about five. (laughs) Your favourite cuisine? Oh, I do like Mediterranean, Italian, that kind of thing. 
What was the first concert that you went to? Oh, maybe ACDC, Hell's Bells, something like that. Name a famous drummer that you'd like to meet. Oh, oh. pass. Your favourite Zappa song to play? Oh, Zombie Wolf. What album do you play the most? Probably John Coltrane, Love Supreme. What was the first single that you purchased? I don't think I've ever purchased a single. Name a music genre that you've never played. Uh, Dub reggae. Name, oh, we're out of time. (laughs) That was great. Good question. Good question. Josh. The drummers, see, I've met so many, and I'm thinking, who would I, re- I really like to meet? See, it puts my brain down a rabbit hole. And Because, <laughs> um, you know, in the States I met, like, all of my idols, really, you know, the, the Bill Stewart's and the Jack Dejanets and Elvin Jones. I even met Elvin Jones. This is in the jazz world. Yeah. So, yeah, probably Questlove now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Never mind. Thank you once again, Craig, for joining me for the Band About podcast today. You've been great to chat to and I hope that everyone who listens finds this as enjoyable as I did. Thank you so much for having me. It was great fun and your questions were excellent. Thank you. It was my pleasure to have you. (laughs) (laughs) All of the information and links relating to today's interview can be found in the show notes. And if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please share the link with your friends. Until next week, it's goodbye from me, Di, Banded About, proudly supporting live music. Bye.